Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is part two of my two-part interview with Joe Buck. If you missed part one after you listen to this, go back, check that one out. Last week, we talked a lot about baseball and Jeopardy. He is going to be hosting Jeopardy August 9th through the 13th, and... He is, as you probably know, I'm sure you know, he is the number one play-by-play voice for Fox Sports, and uh, he's the guy who does the Super Bowl. So this week we're going to talk a lot about football, also social media, which at times can be brutal. It's a fascinating interview. It's a lot of fun. He's very candid. So this is part two of my interview with Joe Buck this week on Hollywood and Levine. So let's switch to football. You and Troy Aikman are a great team. You have a great chemistry together. And that's the kind of thing that you can't just manufacture. You you just have to fall into it. And you guys seem to really have a great relationship. Yeah, we're lucky. Um, and I remember when we were told that we were going to be paired together. Actually, it's not even the right word because Chris Collinsworth was part of it then too. So John Madden and Pat Summerall, Summerall retired. Uh, Madden went on to, uh, I, I don't know if it was ABC at the time, eventually NBC. I think it was ABC. And so now who's going to do it? And it's me, Troy, and Chris. Well, before I even knew Troy, uh, I invited him to my children's hospital charity golf tournament in St. Louis. And without hesitating, he's like, I'll be there. And, and so he, I, I've always had so much respect. And, and I say this, he's only a couple years older than me. But for me to think back with my viewing of the NFL, obviously Bradshaw, I was a huge Oiler fan for some reason, uh, then the 49ers. And then after the 49ers, it was the Cowboys. And so I really paid attention to Troy's career. And I, I was just so thrilled that we were put together and then just delighted that the guy was such a nice guy. So we've, we both have two daughters. I've now got two more kids and sons. Uh, we had a lot of similar things happening at about the same time. He just happens to be a first overall draft pick and a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I'm, you know, me. So we've just been really good friends. We've never had an argument, been together for 18 years on the air. And uh, I look forward to seeing him every weekend because, you know, it's a real friendship. There's no there's no fakeness to it. And I I think that's what lets you have fun on air with that person, because if you're really friends, you know, if if I give him trouble or vice versa, it comes out of a good place. And you're trying to have a nice moment on the air as opposed to why is this guy trying to embarrass me? which I think you can sometimes hear with broadcast teams that don't really get along that well. And it seems like in football in particular, 
you need to have a good relationship with your analyst partner. There, there's more, there's more choreography in football because of the play clock, um, and when the because you're it's tight and and you you better yeah get along because you know pass is complete to Williams down the sideline good for twenty one and a first down now Troy's going to talk. He's filling that space, and now there's going to be a little bit of gap before the next snap happens, and you just do that over and over and over and over and over. And so you have to really be in lockstep with the other person. That's why a three-man booth is really hard. And when you think of Jason Witten and uh, Booger McFarland doing it with Joe Tessitore, and you know, not only is it a three-man booth, and it's the pressure of Monday Night Football, but one guy's down on the field, so they're not, and, and you know, Witten had never done it. So I'm just telling you, it, it's hard, and, and it's why two people work so much better than three, in my opinion, because it is a lot of repetition, and it is a lot of fitting things into a little tight window. One thing that you do that I really appreciate is you are constantly, almost after every play, resetting the situation for the audience and it makes it very easy to follow the storyline of a game that you're calling. I think that comes from radio. I think that comes from baseball. And if you think about how lazy we could be on TV these days, and I fall into the trap all the time, uh, probably more with baseball than I do football uh, because not only is it TV. And so if there's a ground ball to short, you don't really need me saying, Hey, ground ball to short. Um, I don't have to give you all those specifics. I can say uh, Smith goes to his right long throw, got it. I don't need to say ground ball to short. Ozzie Smith goes to his right, backhands it up over the top, throws and got him by half a step. I I can cut out 65% of those words. Not only that, but the score is on the screen. And in football, the score and the time remaining and the timeouts. And it's like, it's foolproof. Like if, if I didn't show up, you still have all that information sitting on the screen. So I I think it just goes back to kind of the, the radio days of, you know, you need to keep telling people what the score is. You need to keep telling people how many outs there are. You need to keep resetting where the runners are on the bases. You need to talk about who's up in the bullpen or what the, the pitch count is for the guy on the mound, whatever it is, but you need to keep reminding because people lose focus as a listener. People aren't there from the very beginning to the end of the inning. And and you need to know that, you know, it, it, it's got to be more than just the tone of my voice to tell, you know, a Cardinal fan, if the Cardinals are winning or losing, you, you need to say what the score is and, and what's at stake here. Right. Which reminds me, by the way, you hate every team, right? In every league. Oh my God. Yes, I hate every team, especially for some reason the big market teams, which uh-huh. you would think would be uh, nothing but job security, whether it's the <laughs> Dodgers, the Yankees. People are like, why do you hate the Dodgers? I'm like, why would I hate the Dodgers? I, it's October. I live in St. Louis. I get to be in L.A. It's the Dodgers. It's this major market, or it's the Yankees, and it's as big as it gets, and, and you want to go, the only thing I'm guilty of rooting for are long series and great moments that, you know, hopefully the home team wins at the end and the crowd's going nuts and whatever. But other than that, it's just, it's the phenomenon of fans hearing their hometown announcers call all year 
which it's a different tone. It's and, and I've done it myself. I did the Cardinals. So if the Cardinals hit a home run, yay. If the whatever Pirates hit a home run, boo. Now the Cardinals are losing. So everybody's sad. But when we show up in October, it's like, oh, what a home run for the Pirates. And now they lead 5-4. And everybody's going, watching for the other side, go, why why are you excited, you jerk? My team just losing. <laughs> what do you? So, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the bane of the existence of a network guy. And my dad experienced it. Vin experienced it. But we're all in a different world now of social media where that stuff just gets those flames get fanned over and over and over again. And then it just takes on a life of its own. So you just have to laugh at it and know that whoever follows me in there is going to deal with the same crap. And it just doesn't matter. Yeah. You talk about social media and how different it is. I mean, I remember when I was doing the Orioles and I would throw in a lot of humor and there were people who loved me. And there were people who just hated me. And there would be letters to the editor like every other week, pro and con. And I'm going like, I have to pay 35 cents to have someone tell me, you know, I'm terrible. But uh, now it's like it's instantaneous. It's like they're analyzing everything you say. And it's like, oh, my God, does does, do you sort of self-censor yourself a little bit because you're thinking, oh, God, this is not worth it. It's not going to be worth this funny line. That's that is exactly the thought. Is it worth it? What what are the what what's the plus minus here? What what's the win that I made four people laugh and now I got to deal with stuff. And then you add to it, you know, things that get taken completely in a different way than than are intended, than is intended. I it it becomes really confining and Doing live sports, it's a high wire act these days. And if you want to try to be funny, you know, you think about Charles Barkley. He, to me, he seems like the only guy who genuinely doesn't care what people say about him. And and it's freeing. It's got to be so freeing. He can say whatever the hell he wants. And as he said recently, I'm going to do this for two more years, and I'm done. I can't stand this stuff anymore. But I, I, a lot of the fun has been taken out of it. And I wonder going back in time, if you brought Harry Carey, my dad, Bob Prince, you know, some of these guys that, that had a little bit edgier senses of humor into this world, if they would have been, you know, as successful or as popular as, as they were. I I don't know. I, I don't know that, you said it exactly right. Is it worth it? And 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 so I think consequently, you know, I've done this for a long time, so take me out of it. But if I'm a kid getting into this business, or I'm a young guy that's getting a chance on Fox on Saturday, or, you know, I'm, if I'm Joe Davis, uh, you know, the Dodgers announcer who does a lot of the games when I'm not there, if I'm doing football during postseason, you know, if you're really wrapped up and 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 taking the temperature of social media, I mean, you wouldn't say anything because people don't like anything. Right. If, if, and, and they're not going to go go on there and go, oh, my God, what a funny line. Oh, my God. Because then people turn on them. Well, you're stupid. That line was stupid. And then they get so it just feeds on itself. So you're right. I mean, it, it's it's a lot different when you and I first met. It's taken a lot 
personality and, and forced me to do it in the car ride on the way home instead of doing it on the air. And, and I don't know, maybe that's self-preservation. Maybe that's unfortunate and I'm just being a baby about it. But eventually when you, when you put up with it long enough, you're just like, ah, just call the game and go home. You know, it's, it's gotta, it's all, it is self-preservation. You know, a few years ago, when I was back calling Mariner games after Dave Niehaus, their lead announcer, uh, passed away. So we were in Detroit, and I'm on the radio with my partner Rick Riz, and make mention of the fact that the Mariners were wearing patches on their sleeves to honor Dave Niehaus. So I said, well, you know, the other great thing is the Detroit Tigers are paying tribute to Dave Niehaus this year, which is really amazing because he never broadcast in Detroit. I said, but if you ever see a home game of a Detroit Tigers team and you'll notice their uniforms, there's this big gothic D on the front, and that's for Dave. And it's a really touching sentiment, okay? Right. All right. Oh, my God. I was crushed. (laughs) <laughs> on well, on Twitter, it's like that I mean, idiot that stands for Detroit. What is right. he talking about? Well, that's but, but that <laughs> isn't that kind of the other part of it that sometimes you say something sarcastic or you say something that's that's definitely a joke and people don't get it. Like I, <laughs> yeah, they just don't. So one of one of the one of the years, I don't know where the game was. One of the All Star games. Um. I'm like, we, my producer and I were like, well, how are we going to come on the air? So he said, well, what if you go around the, the American League clubhouse and you say, you know, here, here's who we're, here's who we've got on tap tonight. Here's Miguel Cabrera sitting in his locker stall. And here's uh, who, it doesn't matter. Just player A, player B, player C. Then I said, then I'll get to Jeter and I'll say, hey, Derek, you excited about tonight's game? Uh, and, and I, I said to Derek, I said, when I do that, just say, Hey, will you shut up and get out of here? We got a game to play, <laughs> but I wrote the line. I was like, you gotta, you gotta, this has got to end somehow. So it's, why don't we end it with you just giving me trouble? Now, meanwhile, this is like taped at three o'clock in the afternoon and that runs on air and people are like, ah, Jeter showed him. You know, what a buck, such a, you know, such a Yankee hater and Jeter <laughs> showed him and told him to get out of there because they had a Yankee or they had a game to play. Like, you don't, you just don't get it. And, right. and so sometimes it just becomes so frustrating too. It's like, I'm able to laugh at myself. I'm able to poke fun at myself. I, I want those guys. I want Artie Lang to come out on stage on my HBO show, which I told him, said, give me trouble. Maybe not to that extent, <laughs> but I, I said, uh, you know, I let's, let's just, you know, have some fun. And, and sometimes people don't, people take it so literally that they don't even get the joke. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your pain. Oh, you uh, know what? Uh, oh, I, I've said worse. I've gotten worse complaints. Uh, it's, it's kind of who I am. So whatever but i'm not on national television either so you know it's all the same there, stuff there's I mean, that it's, just, it's, it's all, all fresno it's all you know at the end of the day you're calling a baseball game and that's why you know when i got trouble uh, trouble a year ago whenever that was when i said on colin coward show or podcast which something i'd said on howard stern before as i went through a time like around 2015-16 i remember this because i was in kansas city for the world series and I was like, you know, it, it, it can get so in your head and become so stressful. 
I said to the runner, I said, go get me the tallest beer they sell here at Kauffman Stadium. And I had that sitting there like a visual reminder, like, hey, we're just doing a baseball game. That's it. We're not. So have some fun. It's almost like think back to how it was back in Louisville in 89 and 90. Think back to how it was when you're doing the Cardinals with your dad in the early 90s and just enjoy yourself. It's not that big of a deal. And even if you make a mistake, the world will not stop spinning and the sun will come up tomorrow. Not to be Annie about it, but that's that's the case. And you get so wrapped up. And so then you get trouble for that. And it's like, that's not the point. The point is, don't let this kind of social media world take the fun out of it. Just enjoy calling the game. And whatever happens, happens. And and you just have to be willing to go that way. When I was doing the Mariners the first time in the 90s, and I would also have to do the postgame show. And one of the features on the postgame show was the play of the game, which, of course, was sponsored. Everything was sponsored. So if I screwed up and said something stupid during the course of the game, I would play it back as the play of the game. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> you know, and I, geez, they hired this guy. What? Right, yeah. I, I would just play it back. You but know, it's like, yeah, so I made endearing. a mistake. So I have some fun with it. Turn it yeah, into a I, bit. I, I, so who did, well, I was just talking to somebody who was getting into this business. Oh, I was, I was playing golf in that Tahoe event with Golden Tate. And he's on the fence whether he wants to play again or he wants to broadcast. And so I was kind of walking down the fairway with him. And I said, you know, the best thing, I said, the best thing about Terry Bradshaw, who to me is Fox Sports, is when he makes a mistake, he follows that up with such a real reaction and a real gut laugh that it makes it great. If, if he says the wrong name, he turns it into a positive. Like, be willing to, to make a mistake. Be willing. To, and, and if you do, laugh at it and, and embrace it because that's, that's how people live their lives. And, and we try to be perfect on TV or radio, and that's just not real. Like, that, that, that's not fun. And, and so if, if I want to say ground ball to shortstop, shortstop throws to first two out, I could probably do a perfect game that way. But that's no fun. I mean, just just enjoy. And if you make a mistake, laugh at it. You have to. I, I, that's, I think that's great that you did that. Can you sleep the night before a Super Bowl that you have to call? That you get to call? Yeah. And, and my boss said something to me that, that I really took to heart because I was doing a lot of interviews. The last one I did was in Miami was the uh, 49ers and Chiefs. And anybody that would ask me, was like, yeah, you know, it comes with a lot of pressure. You know, you got a hundred and some odd million people watching this thing and you don't want to make a mistake and it can take some of the fun out of it, you know? And, and he, he met with me the day before the game and I didn't know why he's like, Hey, will you meet me at, you know, down in the restaurant? And it was very out of character. And he's like, I don't tell you much, but you got to stop saying it's, it's so, you know, pressure packed that, that it's not fun. You got to remember that people, people want to know you're having fun. And I said, well, I do have fun. And I became defensive. And then I was like, you know what? You're right. You're, you're so right. I, I, I need to embrace it. And him telling me that kind of allowed me to sleep the night before the game, like enjoy it. And, and if you can just kind of eliminate the, 
uh-oh, what if I, uh-oh, what if I, you know, I, Bridge of Spies, I think, was the movie. Uh, that Tom Hanks did with the guy who won the Oscar for supporting actor. And, and in the movie, you know, they're walking and, and Tom Hanks's character says something like, you know, well, aren't you worried that the, you know, Russians are going to shoot you when you cross this bridge or whatever. And in his response multiple times in the movie was, would that help? Like, if, if, does it help you to worry about it? Like just live in the present, enjoy it, enjoy what you do. Someday you won't be doing it. And, you know, that, that's, the, that's the better way to be. So I've, I've tried to embrace that really ever since Eric Shanks said quit whining about it. And I imagine when you're actually in the game and it's a game like the Patriots coming back against the Falcons or the Red Sox against the Yankees where you're in the game, it must be the most fun thing in the world when you're calling that two-minute drive. There, you're right, and and you do not you do not think about the pitfalls. You do not think about the size of the audience. You know, it's not Ernest Borgnine going up the ladder and uh, Poseidon Adventure. Like, don't look down. Uh, you don't think about the the hot plate that somebody just put in front of you and says, "Don't touch it," which I do immediately after they say <laughs> how hot the plate is. But you don't think about the bad. You just think about, man, this is awesome. Like. My God, the Red Sox are going to do this. They're going to, they're going to be the first team to come back from three games to nothing to get to the World Series, and maybe just maybe they'll win their first World Series in eighty-six years, which they did four games later after you know dusting off the Cardinals. Or my God, what was it, twenty-eight to three in the Super Bowl? And you're going, mm-hmm. this game sucks, and <laughs> and there's a hundred million people, and and this game stinks, and it's Tom Brady. Well, wait, it is Tom Brady. Okay, what a catch by Edelman. And, you know, now here they are on their way. If they get this two-point conversion, then they got a chance. Then they get the two-point conversion. Then they get the ball back. Then they get another touchdown, another two-point. They're like, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen. And it be, it's exhilarating. There is no feeling like that. And it's not like, oh, my God, I hope I don't mess this up. It's like, come on, keep it coming, and let's see what happens. And, you know, it's, it's only that little voice of doubt that gets in your head the night before or even before you go on camera at the beginning. And once it starts, you don't even think about it. So of all the games you've done in all the various sports, uh, maybe this is a question you can't answer, but uh, are there one or two that stand out as the most memorable games that you felt you were privileged to be there to call? Minnesota or Minneapolis miracle uh, was one for sure. Mm-hmm. When Stefan Diggs caught that ball along the sideline and, you know, it was right in front of us on our side of the field. And he caught it with two seconds left, three seconds left. And I, the, the, the stunning part of that whole thing was you, you're just conditioned as an announcer. And I would think as a receiver to, okay, we got to have a quick hitting play and get a shot at a game-winning field goal, and he makes the catch, spins around, and nobody's there, and he has the wherewithal to just take it into the end zone and the game's over on a walk-off touchdown. Like, you never get walk-off touchdowns, really. I think I've done two. That one and the Seahawks beating the Packers uh, to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game. Uh, th- those are the only two that really stand out where it's like, oh, my God, this is going to win the game. And I would say baseball wise, there's so many, like I I think of my first world series in 96 and calling my dad after that, 
after I did kind of a recap on TV, looking into the camera lens and thinking of him the whole time and, and what that conversation was like, which I've told a million times, but uh, I called home and uh, my dad answered and I was like, well, what'd you think of that? He said, what time's the game come on? Like he hadn't been watching <laughs> every second of it. And then he said, it was great, Buck. It was great. And then he handed the phone to my mom. And the next day I talked to my mom. I was like, what's up with that? He didn't really say anything after the game. And she said he was crying so hard. He couldn't talk about how proud he was of me. Uh, and so that, that, you know, that was my first world series. It was in the Bronx. They'd come back from down two games to nothing. And I'm 27 years old. And I mean, that, that's a really hard one to top. I mean, there've been moments like the David freeze home run in 2011 or, you know, a lot of those Yankee Red Sox battles, but man, just calling the first world series nationally and, and being able to talk about it with my dad was, you know, probably number one all time for me. Well, what a great way to end the interview. <laughs> well, good. I, That's yeah, great. Go out, go out with a bang. You bet. Joe, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Ken, you're the best. And uh, I, I, I love everything about you, especially the award show recaps that I get. Um, please, are you doing those anymore? Is it? Are there any award shows to do anymore? I don't know. Are there any? Are there any <laughs> award shows worthy of watching so that you can put comedy to it? Exactly. The answer, the answer is no. Yeah, because it's tough. It's like uh, I don't know any of the movies. I haven't seen any of the movies. Yeah, I haven't I mean, seen any so of the bad. TV shows, and it's my industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a bad sign. I really have to say that's a bad sign. But reading those the next day, I was like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, whatever. La La Land didn't win. I, I, you, you were the one telling me that. So good for you and for me for that. All right. Look forward to seeing you on Jeopardy, bud. All right. Yeah. Let me know. Email me. Tell me if I look like a complete fish out of water. Will do. All right. See you, Ken. Okay, there you go. That's my two-part interview with Joe Buck from Fox Sports and from Jeopardy. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to Bruce and Jason Miller and John Wolford. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do that now. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine. Also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And if you want to get in touch with me, I will write you back. You just uh, write HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Again, you can email me at HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Thanks so much for listening. More good stuff coming up next week right here on Hollywood and Levine.